iRelaunch. This is Carol Fishman-Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch. And at 321 iRelaunch, we talk about strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. Today, my guest is Tammy Marzigliano. She's a partner at Outen and Golden, where she represents employees in litigation and negotiation in all areas of employment law, including employment contracts, arbitration matters, whistleblower claims, sexual harassment, and individual discrimination cases. Ms. Margliano is a co-chair of both Outen and Golden's Financial Services Practice Group and its Whistleblower and Retaliation Practice Group. She's also a member of the Outen and Golden Executive and Professionals Practice Group and former co-chair of its Sexual Harassment and Gender Discrimination Practice Group. And she's been recognized in Super Lawyers New York Metro Edition for years and years and also Super Lawyers Top New York Women's List for years and years. And she's been practicing employment law for 16 years. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, we're excited to have you because uh, we know that you know the ins and outs of employment law like no one else. Uh, You have these 16 years of advising employees, and we really want to talk to you uh, about employment law that relaunchers should know because so many of us who have been on career break have been on career break for years, and a lot of employment law has changed during that time. Uh, and we just want to get a sense of what we need to be thinking about uh, and what the law is. And we also are going to talk about some special situations, um, almost like role plays, where you can give us some advice on how to respond uh, in an interview situation where we feel maybe we're being asked something that we shouldn't be asked and how to handle that. Great. So to start out with, can you give us an overview of important pieces of employment law that you think people should just be aware of generally? Yes. Um, I think the kind of the big broad overview is that we are an at-will employment state. United States is at-will. So what that means is that you can be fired for any reason or no reason at all. You can be demoted. The terms and conditions of your employment can change, and there's nothing illegal about that. However, what takes you outside the employment at-will doctrine is that you cannot be treated differently because of your age or of your race or your gender or your national origin because you complain and you essentially blow the whistle about what's considered protected conduct. They can't treat you differently because of your religion, because of your sexual orientation. So the law says we're going to give employers a lot of power and a lot of rights in the way that they want to run their businesses, but it's not okay if you're in considered in one of these protected classes, you cannot treat people differently because of these protected categories that I just named. So that's kind of the big overview of the landscape within employment law. And the one thing that I think that people struggle with is identifying the differences between what is considered illegal conduct and what's just a bad business. So you can have an employer that's mean, that is a bully, Because being a bully, unfortunately, is not necessarily illegal. So you can come into work every day and your boss can yell at you and say, I don't like your shoes and I don't like the way you talk. And that might be a place that you choose you do not want to work at. And you always have the right to quit and to resign. So it's not like there's no recourse. It's just that you're not protected under the law. 
And that's something that is a very important distinction between those those two things. So, you know, people need to think about it as far as, is my boss just doesn't like me? Is he just mean? Or is something else going on? Because he treats the men really well, but he doesn't treat the, the women, you know, um, equally. So these are the things that you have to be mindful within your your employment um, environment of why you're being, if you are, being treated differently. All right. Thank you. That's a good starting point. Well, in the relaunching population, uh, we sometimes have, we feel like there are a lot of us who are, quote, older. Um, and however you define that, 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, and so ageism is sometimes an issue. And I'm just curious about your opinion on how does ageism need to present itself? Um, where's the line between like ageism that you just have to tolerate versus ageism that is actually problematic from a legal standpoint? So the law, um, the Oldest Worker Protection Act, particularly protects people over 40. So that's kind of the starting point. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be discriminated against because you're 39 and your boss is a 20-year-old, right? It's about the spread, the differential spread. But usually, it's you know the protection is for people that are 40 and older. And classic, you know, age claims is something that can impact everyone and anyone, right? Because we're all going to get older. So the way that you see typically that these claims present itself is either you'll have an employee that's been there for a very long time and management changes. And all of a sudden they're a great employee, new management comes in, they start hiring a lot of younger people. And now suddenly you've had great performance reviews for 15 years and now you're a bad performer. So that's one way of th that you see this kind of classic example. Another way is when you go in for an interview and you have all of the right qualifications, but they hire someone that's, that's half your age, right? So these are the things. No one's going to come out and say, you're just too old and we're not going to hire you. No one's going to do that, right? So it's looking at the totality of the circumstances. What is the makeup of this company? Are there predominantly younger people? Is it that it's, you know, there's a, there's a mix? How long have you actually been with the company? But it's also about management because you may have someone that you hire, you know, you're hired, and now your boss leaves within a month, and they change, and now this person has some kind of bias, and they want to bring in younger people. And it's also you look at the comments that are being made. Again, it's not direct ages comments, comments as far as you know we think you're particularly too old, but it's comments that we see of we just want some young blood here, and we want mm. to, you know, I had a client that came in and. Um, they said we want the millennial, millennial mindset is the phrase that his new boss came in and kept using. Well, he's you know, and he's 64 years old. He's not gonna have mm -hmm. you know, he's he's not gonna have that that mindset. But what he did have is a lot of experience and that he could bring to the table. So those are the different ways that you see potential illegal claims play itself out. And I think a lot of people feel that. They don't want to be a person who's known as litigious, um, and they would feel that, you know, why would I rock the boat by trying to bring any kind of a case, especially if I'm in a job, I'm looking for a job. Um, and so do you sometimes counsel people to just lay low and let it pass for that kind of a reason? Well, I, I think people have a misconception that, you know, lawyers equal litigation. 
And that's not always the case. A lot of what we do is advise people behind the scenes. Because I know that once you get a lawyer involved, it changes the dynamics drastically and it escalates the situation. And that's not always in someone's best interest, especially when they want to keep the job and they want to be able to figure, how do I stay here and how do I make it work in this environment? So it doesn't mean that, you know what, well, I'm going to get a lawyer involved and I'm going to litigate or I can do nothing at all, right? It's, it's mm. not that black and white. So a lot of times it's building protection for yourself. So, for example, they may want to, you know, if, if you're using an example of age discrimination, they may want to, you know, document it. And they can do it in a way that isn't obvious of saying, I'm really concerned that this project went to Jim um, because I have all of these different experiences. Can we talk about it? Right. So it's kind of building this record, if you will. So if they do choose to do something and they want to leverage it down the road and then decide, you know what, I'm going to get another job, then they're in a better position to negotiate an exit out of the mm -hmm. company. So it's it's not just ignoring it and letting it, it go. It's you know calling them out on it in a way that is professional and that's respectful and that doesn't really put you in a corner, right? Because going up to them and saying, I just think that I'm being treated differently because of my age or my race or my gender, it puts people automatically on the defensive. So it's about navigating it in such a way that you can say, I really, you know, that may be really uncomfortable or, you know, maybe you don't understand the, the experience that I have or what I can really bring to the table. Can we have a sit down and talk about that? Because mm -hmm. I have, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and I know a lot about this industry and I like to talk more about, you know, what, what I can do because it seems that these, you know, you're giving these accounts to so-and-so and, you know, I'm trying to understand. So it's being your own advocate when you're there. And again, it's not, you don't have to be adversarial about it. You can just, again, be respectful about it. If it gets to the point, though, that you really feel like you're dealing with a boss who just has an extreme bias, maybe it's because of your sexual orientation, or it's because of your age or your gender, or because you are pregnant, and it's just something that you feel like you can't navigate with your boss, you, you've been really respectful, you've tried to call it out in a, in a very meaningful way, then that's maybe a time that you want to go to HR and you want to say to them, I'm really just trying to navigate this and I'm struggling. How can you help me you know, with, with this situation? And again, it gives you very strong legal protection against retaliation. Because a mm -hmm. lot of times what we see is retaliation cases are much stronger than any underlying discrimination claim. So if you do finally reach that breaking point and you say, I got to talk to someone, you go, you go to HR, or you go to your boss's boss, or you, you sit down with someone and say, I really am concerned about the way I'm, I'm being treated. I'm really concerned that they're not taking my experience into account. And I can't help but think that, it, you know, my age is a factor. I can't help mm -hmm. but think that, you know, gender, because I see the way that they're treating someone else, if your boss then retaliates against you, you're in a very good position from a legal point of view to help get you out of that company and to get you a severance package and to help you bridge that gap until you get to the next place. And again, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to file a lawsuit and it's all an out war. It doesn't have to be like that. But you also shouldn't feel that you have to stay in a job that you're being treated or disrespected, again, because of these protected categories. But it's really important when 
someone reaches that point to to seek counsel because again the one thing that my clients say to me I hear over and over is I wish that I found you sooner I wish that I talked to you sooner I wish I didn't let it go this far because they think that they have to wait for something really bad to happen they have to wait for them you know to be fired to be demoted not to get their bonus and it doesn't have to be like that because if you feel that there's a problem seek advice there's a you know there's a lot of um, free clinics that are out there there's lawyers that you can sit down and just have a consultation with it doesn't mean that you're gonna do anything it just means that you have to understand what your rights are at that moment and that when you are going to communicate with HR you use the right terminology to trigger legal protection and what I mean by that is if you go to HR and you say I think my boss is just a bully he's just mean and he's just a bully and your boss finds out about it and he fires you. You have absolutely no legal rights at all. But if you go to HR and say, I'm really concerned that my boss is treating me differently, he really favors men. And it's not lost on me that the last three assignments went to my male counterpart that doesn't have the same experiences that I do. And I'm, I'm really concerned about that that will give you legal protection. So if your boss then finds out and he retaliates and he fires you, you're in a much stronger case. So the what you communicate and how you communicate that is essential when we're triggering legal protection. You're listening to 321 iRelaunch. This is Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch, and I'm speaking with Tammy Marzigliano, a partner at Outen and Golden, and we're talking about employment law. Um, I want to sort of pull, pull back now and talk about the interview situation. Um, and because so many of us, when we're relaunching, um, you know, in the relaunching process, we are hopefully actively interviewing. And, you know, if we've taken career breaks for childcare or elder care reasons or a personal health issue, automatically it becomes a topic about, you know, that gets personal. Um, and, you know, we tell people not to shy away from the question that an interviewer should and would, would uh, ask, you know, very understandably uh, about someone who's coming off of a 10-year career break. I see you're coming off of a 10-year career break. Can you tell me about that? Uh, but what if they make a comment about, wow, I see you took a career break for childcare reasons. You have a house full of little kids or something? Like, so. How do you know what's when they're crossing a line? Um, and how do you handle the answer to that question without saying, you're not supposed to be asking me that? Like, are, are there ways to, to respond? I think, I think that there are because you don't want to call them out and say, you can't ask me my age or you can't ask me if I have a disability. That's, you're breaking the law, right? No, but that's not going to go well. So what you want to do is think about what they're trying to get at, right? What's the purpose of the question? What is it that they care about? What does the employer care about it? And you answer it in that way of saying, yes, I've been out for X amount of period of time and own it. You know, don't mm -hmm. shy away. Don't be embarrassed about who you are and what you're doing in your life. Focus on the things that you have to offer to this employer. So if they make a comment that even though they shouldn't make it about how many kids do you have or something along that lines, you can redirect and say, my childcare is not, is not an issue. I am so excited to be back in the workforce. I am so excited because I've kept up on X, Y, and Z, whatever is relevant to the industry. So if it was the 
legal field of saying, I, you know, I've kept up on, you know, these recent trends in employment law. And I understand that this has been going on. And I'm so excited to get back in it. And, you know, I don't have any restrictions as far as hours. I know it's, you know, there's a lot of long hours. And you don't have to worry about that at all because I'm prepared to work. And I don't, you know, have any kind of restrictions that is going to impact my ability to put in the long hours that are required to do this job. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's being it's thinking about what the employer cares about. Why are they asking this this question? And, you know, even if it's an it's an age you know, issue of do you really want to come back at this point of saying I've been doing this for 30 years and I know the ins and out of the marketing industry. And although it's changed and it's, you know, it's grown, I've kept up with the technology or I'm really excited to learn more about the technology. And but here's, you know, I think what's been lost in the new, you know, this new era is X, Y and Z. And, you know, I'm really excited to bring that to bear. And here's how I can benefit it. So it's basically taking whatever the question is, thinking and just pausing for a second and thinking, what is the employer trying to get at? And what can you bring to the table? So it's redirecting it and answering it in a way that is still promoting yourself and not being defensive. Because I think people feel uncomfortable when they've been out of the workplace and they feel like they have to defend themselves. And I think that that's the part that really trips them up, quite frankly, because you need to go in there with confidence and know what your skill set is for whatever the particular job that you're looking to obtain and have that come across. So if they ask you a question, even if that question crosses the line and they say, you know, well, do you still, you know, do you have a disability or you're out because of medical reasons? Is this an issue or because you know, now they're thinking, oh my God, health insurance, or they're thinking about, is she going to need an FMLA leave at some point? Of you know, turn around and say, I did, I had some serious challenges, but I am a fighter, and I fight, and I've, I've dealt with them, and I am so excited that I am well, and I'm able to come in with no restrictions, and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to what I can bring to this, this job. Thank you. Um, there's a lot of great advice in there. And that theme of redirecting, I think, is, is really, really important. Um, let, me, let me talk about that personal health issue scenario. Um, you know, we do have people who take career breaks uh, for personal health reasons. And we at iRelaunch, you know, don't get into disability law or advice along those lines. So, so let's look at the scenario where um, a person took a career break for a personal health issue, uh, but they are performing at the same level that they were before their career break. And then the interviewer says, wow, I see you took a, a three-year career break. Um, what we have coached people to say is, um, who, who took a career break for personal health reasons, is to say, yes, I took a career break for a, ham for a family health issue, which is now resolved, and now I can't wait to get back to work. Um, and I just wanted to test that with you and find out uh, what you thought about an answer along those lines in that situation. I think it's great. I think it's a, it's a perfect answer because it, you're not getting into your situation because it's none of their business, what their, what your situation was or is. And it's the form of redirecting of talking about how excited you are and then putting them at ease that there's no issues that they have to worry about, but I'm really excited and start talking again about your skill set. I think the you know one thing when you're talking about the disability arena 
that people struggle with, or I would imagine they struggle with, is when they need accommodation still. So if they're, they, you know, maybe they were out for a while and they're fine, but they're still going to need an accommodation, even if it's a, you know, uh, workstation that, you know, a certain chair or, or something that they feel that they need or they have diabetes and they have to be able to take breaks, you know, for insulin shots. I've seen that a lot. I, they have no obligation to ask for that during the interview nor does the employer have a right to ask that during the interview process. Once you're hired, they can say, do you need any accommodations? Or you can approach them and say, here's the accommodations I need. But people feel like nervous or feel compelled, like I have to disclose everything and give them you know, all the information. And you don't, mm -hmm. nor should you. Um, that's something that once you get the job, then you could sit down with HR and say, okay, I'm really excited, I've got the job now. Um, here's what I need. I need a different computer screen because of X, Y, and Z or, or, or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And they have a legal right then to, or obligation to accommodate you, but they do not have to tell during the interview process. Right. I'm glad that you talk about this because the concern that people have is this is so personal. It's personal information. I don't want to have to divulge all the details. What is relevant to the employer is that I can perform at a level that is, you know, either at the same levels before career break or with some reasonable accommodation um, for it. So I feel like uh, I, I really like what, you, what you're saying. I feel it reinforces the messaging that we're, we're giving people. I always felt like the, um, the language, which is now resolved, especially like if you say, if you were in an elder care situation, um, uh, I took um, a career break to deal with an elder care situation, which is now resolved, and now I can't wait to get back to work. Uh, and so just a it's a subtle way of communicating that I've settled everything in my personal situation. It's not going to affect anything that's going on here at the employer. So, you know, take that off the table. I think that's exactly right. I think it's great advice that you're giving. Um, that is the right way to handle it. Okay, so um, I I just I, I want to ask you about one more piece, and that has to do with when people are interested in working less than full time hours or in some kind of a non traditional uh, arrangement. Um, people usually phrase this to us as, "I want to go back part time. Should I apply for a full time job and see if they can work it into a part time arrangement?" <laughs> and so. I first response I have in a situation like that is define what you mean by part-time because sometimes people simply mean it's the FaceTime in the office piece of it that's really difficult for them, um, but they or otherwise can work what's roughly equivalent to a full-time job, whereas other people only want to work 10 to 15 hours a week. So um, I'm just curious about what your guidance is for people who are willing to to work an equivalent to a full-time job, but maybe not all FaceTime in the office and not all um, traditional hours. So I think in those situations, one of the things that would be important is to do the research on the company that you're applying for. Because a lot of employers now tout the fact that they have this work-life balance and that they care about their, you know, their employees and the fact that 
Um, they have different arrangements for their employees. So I think it's important to research the company. And if you know people to talk to people, I don't think it's something you need to raise then during an interview. And it, to the extent that you want to, you can couch it in a very positive way by saying, I've seen that you have, you know, this really great, you know, workplace balance. And I, I think that's excellent. Can you tell me a little bit more of how that works? I'm really interested in it. So it's a way that you can then broach the conversation that you're not asking for anything. Because mm -hmm. if, and if they don't have it, and FaceTime really matters for that employer, then that, then that's not a good fit for you. And then you know it. Um, right. But, but the, you know, the way that I would frame the question is back on them as of saying, I've heard or I saw on your website that you have X, Y, and Z um, in place. I think that's so great. And I, that's what attracted me to your company. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? And I think that's how, you know, you can probably get that because more and more employers care less about FaceTime. And with technology these days, you can pretty much work anywhere. And as long as you're willing to do your job and your job is something that you don't need to be in the office or it's not punching a clock nine to five. Um, I, I find that employers, you know, really accommodate that and they want to do that because they want to, you know, they want to be the best employer possible, at least have the perception that they are. I have another question for you on a slightly different topic, and it has to do with why people might engage you um, as their lawyer. Because you mentioned, you know, that it's not all about litigation um, and it's sometimes about um, coming into a situation earlier on. Um, I, I, you know, looking at your background, it seems like there's some negotiation of contracts or salary negotiation. Can you give us a sense of some of the different ways that you work with clients? You know, one of the things that we always tell people, the question you know, that we ask is not whether or not you have a case. The question is whether or not you have a problem. And if you have a problem at work, that is the point that you want to seek some kind of legal guidance. Because you are much more effective and powerful when you understand what your rights are. And that could be at any stage within your employment. It could be at, right at the beginning. It could be at the end of your career. So a lot of what we do is someone will call us and say, you know, my, my boss is being really difficult or I just got demoted. Can they do that? Um, and we, we redirect and say, well, let's talk about it. You have a problem. Why don't you come in and let's talk through it? And so we will help people, A, of just maybe – you know, a one-off consultation that we give them advice and we say, you know, yes, you have claims. No, you don't. Here's, yes, you have leverage. Sometimes it's legal leverage and sometimes it's non-legal leverage. And how do you navigate that? And how do you use that? And how's the best way to handle the situation that you're currently dealing with? So that's, that's one way of just kind of advising them. There are times where I've been coaching people behind the scenes for a year or more while they are still working there. And they'll call me and they'll say, can I send this email? I'm like, no, do not send that email. That's a crazy person email. Let's, let's back off. You're mad. Let's think about this, you know, and I've helped them navigate throughout, you know, a year or more of their employment until they get to the point they say, I'm done. I'm, you know, can you help me get out? 
And then I get them out, you know, and I help them mm-hmm. navigate leaving and getting to the next place and getting a, a really good package because I've been there to help them with the emails and the correspondence and all of the things going on because no one's goal is to sue their employer. Nobody wants to do that. They just want to go in. They want to do their job. They want to be treated with respect and with dignity and be able to leave on their own terms if that's what they choose to do. They just want to be treated fairly. So. I don't think people enter a job or leave a job with, you know, how can I sue my employer? I think they're forced into that corner. Um, So we will get involved either it's just to help them navigate the situation. Sometimes it's when they're joining their, um, their employer. And if I can pause, I just want to make a comment about offer letters and the importance of offer letters. That would be great. Because I think that gets lost on a lot of people. We would want, you know, it's always great if you can have an employment contract. That would always be the great thing. It gives you legal protection. It takes you outside the employment at will doctrine because it gives you terms and you can only be fired for cause and it really outlines it. But that's that's the exception. It's not the rule. Of course, if you mm-hmm. got an employment contract, you should definitely have an employ- you know, a lawyer look at it. And we, we do that a lot, especially with high-level executives. We review and we negotiate the employment the employment contract because everybody loves everybody when they're joining um, and everything's so nice it's when you're leaving it's like a marriage and you're leaving and everybody hates each other so you want to have somebody if you have an employment contract the second thing is you want to have somebody either take a look at or you want to be mindful of just an offer letter and let me tell you why an offer letter will say that you're an at-will employee and we can fire you for any reason or no reason. So it doesn't give you rights as far as your actual employment, but it cannot, But it is a contract for other terms of your employment. So if the employer says to you, listen, I'll give you a guaranteed bonus for the first year. We're hiring you in July. We'll give you a guarantee of $50,000. That should be in the offer letter. Every single thing that the employer tells you that you rely on in taking this job should be put in your offer letter. And people shouldn't be afraid to ask for that, of saying, I got the offer letter. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't mention that guaranteed bonus. Can we, can we put it in here? Um, I, I trust you, but I, just, I think since you know, the employer took the time to write down the terms and conditions of my employment, I think that this is part of it. Because then down the road, if you don't get that guarantee bonus, you actually have contractual rights under this mm-hmm. offer letter to say, hey, you're, I'm entitled to this. The same thing about the offer letter should have as much information as possible. If it says you will work in New York, it would be good to have in the offer letter, you'll be new, work in New York, you know, in the New York office. So now if they're going to relocate you to Florida, you can say, well, I was hired for this. And again, it gives you some leverage to nego- you know, to negotiate. They can change it, but at least it gives you some some leverage pieces of it, um, or the fact of what your comp structure is going to you know is going to be. So the more information you can put in an offer letter, the better. The third thing is um, restrictive covenants, and I won't want to go too far afield, but I want people to be really mindful of restrictive covenants because a lot of times people will start their job and they'll hand you forms when you first start with HR and everybody just signs it and they don't look at anything. And mm-hmm. when I say restrictive covenants, I'm talking about non-competes and non-solicits. And they're becoming more and more common and more and more problematic. 
So again, if you want to have that, that job and you have to have that job, you know, you may sign it, but you may be in a position to negotiate it and say, hey, this seems like a really long time or really broad. Can we talk about it? Is there anything, you know, to talk about here? And sometimes the employer will work with you on that. Uh, and sometimes they'll say, no, this is this is standard. But you have to be mindful and then think really hard. Do I love this job enough to take it? Because once I leave, I'm out of this field for a year. Is that okay? So these are the mm -hmm. kind of things that I, I really think that people should think about um, you know, initially, you know, initially going back to your question of how we help people in addition to just advising behind the scenes, obviously we'll negotiate on their behalf. It reaches a point where either they're entering and it's a contract or they're exiting and it's a severance package. We can negotiate and say, you know, the severance that you're offering is not in line with the facts and circumstances of the situation. The severance doesn't really help our client bridge the gap till the next place in their their career and let's talk about enhancing that severance and the third way that we help people is obviously litigating and that's the last resort if you're not able to reach an amicable resolution then we will proceed with litigation and go down you know go down that path um, but it's not like I said it's not this cookie cutter black or white one-size-fits-all approach every single person their needs are different, their wants are different, their claims are different, their situation is different. They may have no legal claims at all, but you know, they'll come to me and say, I know where the bodies are buried. I'm like, okay, well, we'll navigate that very gently, right? Because no, we will not engage in extortion, but they care about, you know, the company cares about their image. They really care about their image. So to find out that their CEO was going around sexually harassing women is not going to look very good. Right for them, mm -hmm. so it's thinking of it's thinking about um, the situation and how it pertains to you and what the individual employee's goals are. What are they trying to accomplish here? You know, and sometimes it's I just want to I love this company, I just want to get out of this department. I want to get away from this guy, or I hate this company. I want to go, and it's thinking through the best way to to navigate whatever their concern is. Okay. Uh, so we're wrapping up or it's already at the last minute. Um, it has been such a fast moving, great conversation. Um, so Tammy, I just want to um, ask you if you could leave us with advice for relaunchers. Um, uh, your, one of your favorite or best pieces of advice, even if it's something that you've already said during our conversation. I think the best, um, I don't know if the best, but one piece of advice I can offer is to to own your situation, not to shy away from it, and to be your own advocate. You know, every person knows who they are, and they know their strengths and weaknesses and what they can bring to the table. And I think it's important to for people, whether they're interviewing or while they're still at the job, to, again, to own who they are and what their skill set is, and not to be afraid to share that openly um, with either a prospective employer or with, with their current employer. Great, thank you very much. Uh, so I'm speaking with Tammy Marzigliano, uh, a partner at Outen and Golden. Uh, Tammy, if people wanted to get in touch with you or the firm, how would they find out more information? They can just go on our website and um, they can, or they can Google Outen and Golden, they can Google my name and contact us and speak to anyone um, of my colleagues here. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your expertise uh, and your time today. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
this is Carol Fishman Cohen, and you are listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we talk about strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break.